0: One amazing characteristic of the Bible is the uh, unity of the Bible. It's incredible how much unity there is when you consider that the Bible is 66 books. How many other books do you know that have 66 books in them? 39 are in the Old Testament. 27 are in the New Testament. and Yet those 67 books are so cohesive as they come together and they present one dynamic super message of how God has dealt with mankind. And then we see that these 66 books were written by 40 different authors over a period of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Most of them did not know each other, and they came from different educational backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. These books of the Bible came uh, in different places, different cultures, came out of three different continents, Europe and uh, Asia and Africa. The Bible has three languages in it, How many other books do you know that that uh, was composed in uh, those three languages? uh, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And uh, then we know that the Bible deals consistently with subjects. The origin of the universe. All of these authors... Are writing consistent with each other, the existence, the very nature of God, no matter what book you, you, you see in there, you keep seeing this sovereign God and His nature and His purpose for humankind. In each one of these books, they agree with each other and still not saying the exact same repeated uh, verse or sentence. The origin extent of evil, we see how uh, that is portrayed in Scripture. And you would think, with the Bible being as diverse as it is, with all of those aspects that are involved in how it was written and when and why, you know, it should have been in chaos. I mean, absolute chaos, full of contradictions, it should have been, distortions. But the Bible is the most coherent, trustworthy book in all of the world and the most consistent book that could ever be written. And so uh, internally and externally, it's consistent, never contradictory. And so then when it comes to our own spiritual lives and our personal relationship to Christ, the Bible is all that is necessary for us to live because of these instructions. The instructions are absolutely complete. There are no other instructions out there that we need to be seeking for, to be looking for. Am I missing something? There must be something else out there. There must be some kind of tradition that I'm missing. No, it is contained in what you are carrying today. Incredible, it's all there. The Bible plus nothing. Scriptura. Sola Scriptura, right? Scripture alone. Alone. And it's good to know we don't have to go out searching and seeking for other things because we're missing something. It's right there. Isn't that great? So if we are committed to the Bible, and I believe we are committed to systematic, ongoing teaching of God's Word, we do it because of who He is and then what it does to us. And can you imagine God going to all the trouble of saving us and not having a written word or any kind of instructions for us, we just get saved and then that's it? And we wouldn't know anything else? You're on your own, folks. <laughs> Go for it. Whatever you want. You know, uh, I, you know you'll learn about me in eternity. Uh, I'm not going to give you anything else other than I created you. Here you are. You're saved. That's it. Now, how would you like that? We would be lost Because the only way we come to salvation is through His Word, isn't it? There is no problem in life, and I say no problem in life which the Bible does not provide God's wisdom. And even, you know, there's explicit teaching on certain things. There's certain things you go, well, where do you find that in the Bible? You know, this thing that I'm going through here. There are certain principles that are going to be able to be applied there. There's always a Scripture that can be used for everything. Everything absolutely everything, no matter how bad, how good it is. So in chapter 3, verse 16, we started on uh, uh, one of the greatest passages in the Bible. All Scripture is inspired by God. All scriptures inspired by God. And that's where we finished last week. We did start on verse 15, the sacred writings that were given to Timothy, and he had those that brought him to salvation. And he says, All scriptures inspired. What better encouragement does a guy like Timothy need than you have it all, Timothy? It's right there. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness, and now you just preach it. And so, there we are. Uh, let's uh, let's stand and let's read God's Word about God's Word. Can't say enough about God's Word. This is what everything focuses around. All the songs we sang this morning, it focused around the Word. The prayers that we prayed, it focused around the Word. The words that we said, focused around the Word. And as we read the Scripture here, it's around the Word, and the praying, the preaching is around the Word, and the Lord's Supper will be around the Lord's Word. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Father, thank You for the Bible. And it is certainly good for everything our thoughts, our actions, all the deeds, everything that we do is going to be based upon Your inspired Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Oh, help us to grasp that this morning, Lord. Help us to grasp what a treasure we have. We have the best, the most precious treasure ever in all the world through all of mankind's time here and on into eternity. The very Word of God. And the only place that is taught correctly is in the church of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about denomination. I'm talking about where Christ is the head and people honor His Word. That's really the only place where you're going to get that Word where it's taught. You just can't go into anywhere and and learn about it. And so what a privilege it is. And we're going to uh, now go off of where we started last week. All Scripture is inspired by God. And what is it good for? It's profitable for... And we start with teaching. And the word profitable would be a good word. And here's what we do. We take the key words in the verses that we read, like Scripture. We we said what that was. Grafe, inspired, is theonoustos, or God breathed, right? By God. That's the most key word of all, isn't it? You're reading a book that actually came from God. I didn't write it those authors actually they penned it down, but it really came from God. He's really the absolute author, and that's the only reason why everything here is agreeing in every aspect, isn't it? Isn't that exciting? Don't ever take that for granted. When when we think about it, we go wow, because sometimes I just pick up the Bible and start reading, and I kind of forget where really what this is all about. It's him revealing Himself to us. So it's profitable. It's good. It's Ophelamos is the word there. It means to be sufficient. It's all sufficient. It's beneficial. It is productive. It is good for this. It's good for teaching. It's beneficial. you, You think of other religions besides Christianity, and they might even have a Bible. They'll say, yes, we believe in the Bible, plus the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, that is equal with the Bible, or even more so. And they say, that's also the Word of God. And really, if you're a Mormon, that's really their ultimate book. Um, Very deceptive. False, false, all the way. Um, Another um, book that was written was called Science and Health with a Key to Scriptures. (laughs) And that was by Mary Baker Eddy. Or you might be familiar with Christian Science. The Christian Science Reading Room. Have you seen that in Jeff City? Actually, have that? Where is it gone? Is it still around? Is it gone? Good. Very good. But that has the claims that's inspired by God. This lady got inspired by God, wrote it down, and here's all this. We don't have to go looking for that other stuff. You have it. You have it right with you, right here today in your Bible. Now, it's good for teaching. It's sufficient for teaching. For teaching. And the word is didaskalia, and that means to impart truth. And what we're going to emphasize here and what the context here is dealing with the content. It's profitable for the content. It's not the process of teaching, but it's talking about the con here, it, it, content. It's profitable to give you the necessary body of divine truth. When you pick up the Bible, not all the time do you pick it up. Somebody is opening their mouth and teaching you about it. That's the reason why we say this is the content. When you read it, it's teaching you. And the Holy Spirit is your resident teacher, and that's why you can get it when you read it. You can get the understanding, or you can get it from whenever you hear somebody teach it. Or when you're fellowshipping with somebody, you can get an understanding of Scripture there. That's what we want. Because we can't get enough. And by the way, just when you think you're full of it all, there's more to come, isn't there? Amen. It just keeps coming and, and keeps coming. It's divine truth. It's God truth. And it's how to live a godly life. As we see a holy God, then we live a holy uh, holy life. So it's God's revelation of truth and it provides for us substance, content, It's to be believed. If we believe Christ, then we believe His Word, right? It's doctrine. It's the body of content. And it's upon that that every thought that we should have, every action that we should do is to be built on the fact that that it comes from the word of God. It's built upon that. It's principles that and you may not ask yourself everything that you do on that. You, you become O C D, but if there's there's something and you think, yeah, this is this is right. This agrees with God's word. If something is questionable, you can you can say, well what does God say about this? Right? And um so everything is to be built upon that. Upon the, these principles, that truth. Every single thing that we will ever deal with in our spiritual existence that we have, we are spiritual people, is covered one way or another in Scripture. It is the very foundation of what you do. It is replete with instruction, teaching, instructions for life. People go searching around for books, to help them in this situation in their life and in this situation, and granted commentaries and books that go along with Scripture and based on Scripture, that's good. <laughs> I, you know, I uh, I don't want to abandon books. Books are good. God gives people to write books to help us to be built up. God gives us people to preach and teach the Word. God gives us people to you know evangelize all the different gifts that we have. You know, um, but um, ultimately it's still based upon that. Uh, God designed it. Don't we want to go to the designer and find out what he says about this particular subject? So as we study this, what we do in our in our Christian walk, we just start accumulating principles, accumulating, gathering them to gather. At first, when you know we come Christians, we read here and we read there. And then we might read through the Bible and we get a good grasp, and that's what we want to do. you know we want to get uh the the timeline of it we want to get the whole thing you know look look at the the big picture at first, right then you want to start getting deeper, and you go into the forest, then you start looking at a tree, and then you start taking the bark off that tree. And then you see what's in that bark. You just keep going deeper and deeper and you go, wow, this is incredible. And you realize hey, there's a root underneath this. And, uh, I mean, it goes on and on. Look at the depth of that. I think Luther was talking about the, the bark of a tree and uh, that kind of... A... Anyway, God designed that. He knows all about it. He can help you out in understanding that. He designed all of creation, didn't He? So that it's the foundation on what we base our actions on. So biblical ignorance is a tragedy because what you don't know about what the God, Word of God says, you can't build your life on. There are certain elements and principles if you don't know about, your life is not being built on that truth there. So it ought to be built in to every believer to have the pursuing to know God and how best do we know God? Not by contemplating and and uh, playing with our belly button and coming up with thoughts out of our own mind because if we, as we know on the Tuesday night Bible studies we see where that leads. Men that were in the church started going outside the Word and thinking and they thought how great man was and they got that totally opposite. Man is not good. The Bible reveals God is holy. Man is not. So therefore, we need to look at a holy God through His holy Word and then we become holy, right? And then we think godly thoughts. We think on things. The deep things of, of, uh, of God's creation, for instance. And, 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 and you know, yeah, I know where that came from. And so men get discoveries and science came along as a good thing because Bible is science. You know, Bible is knowledge. It's the Word of God. And there are things in here that are are, are scientific. It's not just a science book, though. It's many other things. There's things in science books that can help us. You know, it's kind of like what commentaries are. You know, we, But the thing is, science has totally been destroyed uh, for the most part because it's experiential now. It's a religion, and it's not going out and checking things out and testing things. And if you keep testing it, it keeps doing it over and over, then you can say, here's a fact, here's a scientific fact. You know? So, and it's even more than theory. But today they make just statements out of the... Thin air. Something happens to be fifteen billion years old, and I heard that the other day. I was reading something. And I go, oh, this looks like an interesting little article here. And as soon as I saw it, heard that, I saw it. Boom. I click that off just like that immediately because anything this guy says from there on out it really doesn't matter to me. It's probably a bunch of trash. It's wasted my time. All he has to do, and he sounded like he was really intelligent. Why do I want to listen to anything this guy has to say if he's telling me the, he's, lying. he's lying? He doesn't know that.
1: Uh,
0: the... Oh boy, yes, and uh, so so it goes, right? Um, You have truth. You read the truth. You hear the truth. You bank it. You put it in the bank. You put it into your mind. You put it into your soul. You put it into your heart. It's deposited there. You have a truth. You deposit it. You guard that. It's in the bank. And then Scripture is profitable for that body of doctrine, something that you just learned, you put in here, and so your action and your thought is now built upon that, and so when the time comes to be able to use that, you have it there in the bank, and you know what? You can go in and withdraw it every time. And by the way, you won't be depleted of it because it goes right back in there. But you get to use it. Isn't that great? And you don't have to lose it. It's supreme. It's the very final source and the very standard of truth. It measures all other things that are truth. All truth does come from God. If it is real truth, it is the standard. And it, it tells us the wisdom of God. And the more you look in here, you see profound things of God. Things that our human finite minds cannot even grasp, but, but we believe it. You know, the Trinity. What's an, an incredible doctrine there that is, isn't it? How far can you believe of it? Well, you know it's true. And you can think about it. Is there a God? What is He like? It gives the... You know, the questions are out there. The people should have the questions. And all the answers are right here. Is there a God? Yeah, it says right here. What is He like? It tells His nature all the way through. How can I know Him? It tells us right here. Who are we? tells us right here. Look in the first three chapters of Romans and you'll find out who you are. But once you have been converted, you look in Ephesians chapter 1 and you see the great position that you have been put. What a position. You want to get really uplifted? Read Ephesians 1 tonight. (laughs) Just read it and just be praising God because look where He puts you. Your position is incredible. And you've been adopted in Him. Adopted into His family. Into Christ. He accepts you in the beloved he chose you before the foundation of the world. That's right. Why are we on this planet? Why is there death? Oh, here's what the, the world really likes to ask. Why is there suffering? And they'll say, there can't be a God because there's suffering. Why did you even put that in the same sentence? Do you think... What are you thinking there? Think about what you just said. Why are you put? You know they, they suppress the truth. God really is there. They they've known it. They suppress it, and then God says, "Okay, fine. That's okay. If you don't want to believe me, then I I I, I will let Satan blind you totally." Principles, precepts that are in the Bible, matters that we wrestle with every day, and we have something to to draw from. Um. How about practical things? How do, I, how do I relate to my mate? It's right here. Well, how do I relate to others? How do I relate to my co-workers? How do I relate to my neighbors? How do I relate to other Christians? How do I raise my children? How do I manage my money? How do I conduct my business? How do I make wise decisions? How should I think? <laughs> how about this? How about, how practical is this? Here's where something that we all battle. How do I control my emotions? We are people built with emotions. We are not robots. He has given us humanness, but but there are certain things that can come up that'll get distorted and just blow us out of the peaceful calm that we should be in and we get angry. We get depressed. We have anxious moments, anxiety, or we become impulsive. Right here, how do I overcome temptation? Oh, it's right here. The Bible speaks practically on all of those things, Any, and more matters than we can even imagine. It's it's always there. Bible's like an instruction manual. Can you imagine picking up? Uh, some kind of instrument or how about a computer, equipment, that kind of thing. And this thing is really rocking and it's brand new and there's a lot of things there that you haven't even run across before. It'd be foolish to spend a lot of money on this computer and and not really knowing how to operate it and think I can all of a sudden. And I So I just ignore the instructions or even worse, I start violating the manufacturer's uh, instructions that he has. What's going to happen? You're going to have problems. You're going to have to call somebody over that knows about that to help you. But but God chooses to communicate through His instructions. He knows what it is. He made it. And He knows what you can do to make this function in your life. So here's what's happened in the, most of the whole body of Christ. A great tragedy... Where the Word of God really is kind of put on the shelf in the preaching and teaching of the Word, and I'm not saying every church. You guys know that, right? But you also know, as a whole, the Bible is not being put up as the very thing that we're talking about here. And it's they're, they're concerned about church growth. They're the CEO, the pastor is, and make sure that... Uh, everything's running smooth as far as finances are concerned, and uh, getting people, getting bodies in. and uh, so that's what it's about uh, as far as they're concerned. but we we've, we've lost the fact that some of the greatest theologians, almost all of them were pastors. Augustine, a great theologian was a pastor. Luther, a great theologian, a pastor. Calvin. John Calvin, a great theologian, a great pastor. Jonathan Edwards, the greatest thinker, the greatest philosopher from America. An an Englishman who really lived here in America. We actually had American Puritans. And he was a pastor. And then John Gill, and then Charles Spurgeon. These guys just gave us tremendous thinking and, and, and thought. And But they were pastoring the flock. And they used theology of all things. People go to church growth seminars today to increase the church attendance. And and you start talking about theology and they go, theology? How's that going to get anybody here? (laughs) And you know what? They're right. I think we prove it. (laughs) It's an interesting hobby for a few quaint pastors, but it's not very relevant to the time that we're in. Of the modern pastorate, we do our 20-minute message and we give something that it will really apply to you that is relevant, like how I do with my money. And of course, the Scripture has the answer for that, but David Wells talked about that called No Place for Truth in a book that he wrote. But as a result, pastors are not preaching God's truth. God's people are starving. They need to be nourished. They need to be getting stuff to be reminded of about the great doctrines. They need to know who the living God is. And we need to be exposed to, to the Scripture from every source and principles that, that, are, that are here. Understand. Then we can apply it to our lives. That's what it's about. You don't catch it by reading a few texts for the day and then going on. You take a few of your favorite verses or something and then say, well, I read the Bible. You you need to read it. You need to study it. You need to meditate on it. To chew it. You need to hear it by faithful expositors. You need to keep feeding yourself because the enemy is trying to feed you and if you don't get fed the Word of God, you're going to be getting fed something else and it, it might just be something that's, you know, just like uh, sugar. Or it might be worse than that. It might be contaminant food for your soul. You read it over and over. And you compare Scripture with Scripture. That's how you do it. You look for key words. And you, you get that defined. You say, "What is that there? What is the meaning here? Who's writing it? Who's he writing it to? What does it mean? What was what was he trying to get the idea across?" And then finally, after we we get to that, we go, "Okay, well, what does how does this come out in my life? What what does this mean here for me?" And uh, so that's that's a good way of reading it. Look in Psalm one nineteen, and that is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's all about one thing. What is it about? (laughs) The Word of God. Every verse speaks about the Word of God. Whether it be the law, testimonies, precepts, ways, statutes, judgments. That's just a few. All of it's dealing with the Word of God. In verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. Add it all up. Plus, plus, plus. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Psalm uh, 119, verse 160. The sum of your word. Everything. Every little part of it. And it all adds up to all truth. Remember, every... Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is inspired. Everything that you read, you know is coming from Him. John 17:17. 17, 17, Jesus prays for the disciples and He says, Thy word is truth. There's your truth. Your truth. We hold it right here. You can turn on the TV and you can hear people espousing things and most of the time you say, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. That's false. Okay, well there's the word teaching. Does that does that help get what teaching is about? It's not somebody just standing up and getting teaching. Sometimes it can be, but in that case, it's talking about here we it, it's profitable for teaching. Do you do you see how that's helped you already in your life? Now, here's the next word, and it's kind of a negative word. <laughs> but it's a good word. Because it's it's what God has in mind for us. Reproof. The Bible is profitable for teaching. And not only that, what if it just stopped there? No, it gets into your life. Reproof. Have you ever been reproved? The Word of God is the reprover. It means to rebuke in order to convict of misbehavior. It means to convict. It means to expose us. Elegmas is the word. It means to convict, to convince, to expose. It's profitable for that? Whoa. It doesn't merely mean to reply to, but to refute an opponent. In the court of law, this term was used back at that time. And it meant when a lawyer convinced the judge and the jury as to the wrongs of the opponent then that was shown it had been proved there was a a conviction there there was a rebuke this means the Bible is so powerful it can come in and expose our sin I mean it comes in and exposes it and it shows us where we are wrong has that ever happened to anybody? has that ever happened? you ever been proven that you were wrong? If you're thinking, why in the world would I want that to happen? That feels uncomfortable. I don't want that. Well, the answer is this. Because sin will ruin your life. (laughs) Do you want your life ruined? Of course not. It's a good thing that it exposes our sin so that we then can confess it. He says in First John one nine to confess our sins, for He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So when we ex- get our sins exposed, then we confess that sin and we forsake it, don't we? As a matter of fact, we we want to avoid it at all cost. And sometimes that's where the battle comes in. We're trying to avoid it, and we're st- it's hard, but it's still there. Hey, Dennis, I don't want the sin I repented from, but it's still there. The temptations are incredible. Well, good. You know what your sin is. James says, every one of us knows our particular sins, the events that we are aimed at doing. We know that weakness, don't we? James says that. Well, um, we need convincing because we tend to justify our sin. Don't we do that? And and so therefore, you know, we kind of cloud it over and, and make it look good. But Proverbs 19.3. Proverbs 19.3. Proverbs is a good place to go for some wisdom, isn't it? The foolishness of man ruins his way. And his heart rages against the Lord. Now, you take that with an unbeliever, that's really understandable. But can Christians do some foolish things? We're not foolish. I mean, we're not fools, but we can do foolish things. I think every time we sin, we've just done a foolish thing. And it ruins. It can ruin our way. And our heart is just raging out against this holy God. And so that's how... um, we need to see the Bible when we read it. Not just for historical facts. It's great to get that. Get it. Not for just some kind of scientific facts. Not for just grabbing some kind of knowledge about the nature of God and the nature of man. But if it just stops there, then it's not going to change us. We're, you know. And that's what happens to so many people. They have a lot of head knowledge up here, but their lives are still the same. And uh, there's no change. If we use the Bible to help confront our own sin, then we will grow in righteousness. We will grow and grow in righteousness. Um, if we're not using the Bible, we're not going to grow in righteousness. If, not, if we've not been in that, we've not been taught by it and not letting God teach us, and we're not teachable, then um, you know we're going to ruin ourselves. Uh there's a little boy, and he loved his mother's strawberry jam. James Montgomery Boyce told this story. And uh his mother was gonna be going for um uh, out doing some errands, and she put it up on the top shelf. He couldn't reach that. But you know, sinful hearts can figure out some things really quickly. He gets a chair. Gets another thing, stacks up, gets up there, gets into the strawberry jam. Oh, I love that strawberry jam. Oh, it's so good. In my case, I could use chocolate chip cookies, Janice. Carolyn's going to be putting those up high, but the thing is, I'm taller. About <laughs> oh, the little boy with the strawberry jam. She comes back. A little bit quicker than he thought, but, you know, he, he's getting down. He's trying to look innocent, you know. And she says, uh, well, Montgomery boys, he used the word Johnny. And since Johnny's not here today, I can use that. And, 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 but I'm not telling on Johnny here. This wasn't when Johnny was... Johnny's actually not feeling well today. So. So, but I'm not picking on him. <laughs> he's getting the strawberry jam that Frida made. Um anyway. She comes in and she says, Johnny, have you been in the strawberry jam? And he looks her in the eye and says, No. She goes, Johnny, have you been in the strawberry jam? Now he looks at her waist, and says, No. Johnny, have you been in the strawberry jam? She asked the third time. He looks down at her shoes, his shoes, one more time. Usually in stories there's three, this is four. So she says, Johnny, have you been in the strawberry jam? He looks down. This time, he can't look her in the eye, can't even look that, he looks, you know how kids do? And they look straight down and there is the strawberry jam all over his shirt. We know about mom's intuition, but this was just up front. Uh, How often can we do that where God lightly tells us something and we kind of ignore it, kind of cover it up? He's... He's a hound of heaven, you know, for salvation, but uh there are things in our lives that need to be changed, and he works on us and works on us and works on us, and so we go, oh yeah, that neighbor of mine, that rotten neighbor of mine, you know that that guy right there, yeah, he needs to he needs to hear this or <laughs> uh, it can come to the point of. Yeah, you know, uh, those people at church, there's some people there at church, they really need to hear that. They need to hear this Scripture right here. They need to. And then it's, well, my, my wife, my kids, or my husband, my kids, they need to hear this. And, Johnny, you been in the strawberry jam? <laughs> oh, I guess I need to hear this. I need to deal with my own sin. Isn't that what it's about? We must look at that. We don't, we cannot, we don't have the time to figure out other people's sin. <laughs> we have so much work right here that the Lord is working on that uh, we have to look at. So, the Word, it reproves us. It's a good thing, isn't it? It's not just a builder like the truth, like like the, the teaching, but it comes in and it rips and it shreds and it comes in and, and takes that out. It, it it just tears it to shred to be torn and it deserves to be torn. And that's what rebuking does. That's um, right. Another way to define it, trench. Wrote a book on you know, synonyms and teaching word studies and such. Alec he says it's a rebuke. It's rebuking another with such effectual wielding of the victorious arm of the truth so as to bring him not always to confession, yet at least to a conviction. Of his sin. So that's the idea of reproving. At least to come in and convict one where one says, yeah, that, that's that's me. That, that's, that's the worst thing that people can think of. You know, ooh, I don't want my sin to be exposed. We don't like that. We, we don't. You read the Word, you start studying the deep things of God, it begins to cut away the sin in your life because we really haven't arrived yet, have we? We don't have it all together. The first rebuking of the Word the sin in the life of a person of a believer. Look in Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. Just a few verses from where we're at. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Look at this. Preach the word, be ready, ready in season, out of season, Repue, reprove, rebuke, exhort. With great patience and instruction you do that with teaching, but it's all being patient at the same time so there is you know where it's coming straight from uh, the preacher the teacher sometimes it comes just from your straight reading, but whatever it is it's it's still that body of doctrine Luke in Ephesians chapter six verse seventeen. A familiar verse. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Anybody ever get into Bible Man? Neat videos ahead of. out. You know, you know, Zach knows this one very well. He watched them all at least 50 times. Probably, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. They have a little laser thing that comes out, you know, and it it speaks, it talks. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Boy, does that ever say it? Uh, chapter four of Hebrews. Chapter four of Hebrews. We all know this one. What is it good for? It teaches us. It reproves us. I don't know how good that is. Well, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living. It's not dead. It's living. I don't know of any book that lives. The Word of God is somehow alive. Because the Holy Spirit is in you and you can understand it and it just lifts off the page It's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, as far as you can go, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Wow! That's a powerful powerful word of God it's living and it's a a sword and it, it is driven into the very core of a person's being right into the very core of who we are and it cuts deeply it gets into the thoughts and intentions of our heart can you see why people don't want to read the Bible it cuts cuts deeply we can get ripped open by the Word of God. We, maybe sometime, have come to church on a given Sunday feeling pretty good about ourselves and all bouncy and everything's going great because you're going to be praising God and we should be, right? But sometimes, and I'm not saying this should be, I don't want to make people feel terrible when they walk out of here. I, I want to make them feel even more joyous than ever. But, you, might, you may have some at some time walked out feeling terrible about your own selves. You might be feeling terrible about somebody. <laughs> no, I'm saying about ourselves. When we walked out, feeling terrible, because you want to know why? We were cut open by the Word of God. Right. And Andrew had his surgery. He was cut. You want? To, I don't think he probably would want to show you, but he's got a, a big cut there, you know, along the, the side there. And then we look at Cindy, and on her neck is a cut. But if, if they didn't do that, the surgeons do that, uh, then you're just going to get worse. And worse, right they've got to do something, they've got to get in, they've got to do something, they've got to cut in there and made you feel terrible, and it still can make you feel terrible, but we know that hey, this is how also God heals. We were confronted with the Word of God, and there were some things in there that our lives or our life needed to be just shown to us. Of what's going on there, this is why people aren't piling into churches today. They don't want to hear that, but they will pile into a church if they're talking about real just all nothing but positive things, everything's all positive, everything's bubbly, and everything's joy and that I love that you know that is the way I want to be, but yet I know that God's word is very balanced, and I know that we are not always the most perfect people.
1: Pretty good, pretty good
0: in Christ, but the sword exposes it gets split open sometimes. people don't want to get cut up. John chapter three, verse twenty it's a good thing, but in John three it tells about what salvation is, it tells you how you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. everybody knows that John. What? 3.16? Uh, Keep on reading down and look at verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The Word of God does that. They don't want to be exposed to the cutting power of the Word of God. You look back in Hebrews 4:13. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him. Everything's laid open and, and laid bare. And you take that uh, verse 13 apart. This is um, a word picture here. Uh, you think of a criminal, a criminal who had to lift his face. We're, we're looking at, back at that time. He had to lift his face and face the crowd. He's a criminal and he's being marched to his punishment and so the soldier guarding him and taking him to his punishment holds a dagger to the chin lifts that chin up and as the people there are seeing him being marched to his punishment there that dagger is barely piercing the skin and it keeps cuz if he goes down with that thing up in there like that you know what's going to happen there So it's to force Him to hold His head high in His face so that everyone could see as He's paraded to judgment. And we're not talking about everyone should see our sin, but between us and God, we want Him to expose that to us as we confess our sin. And so it jams its pierced point right up under your chin and it makes you face the reality. God is able to see always exactly what we really look like. What we really are. It sifts. It analyzes. It reveals. Boy, the Word of God. It comes in and shows our emotions, our thoughts, our attitudes. It doesn't take very long to say, Oh, wow, God, You're right. Oh, my. Lord, thank You for showing that. Help me get rid of that nasty, awful thing. Um... Maybe you're reading in the Bible about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How many here today have loved God with every ounce of their being? I'm talking about before you came to church. (laughs) I'm talking about as soon as you woke up. (laughs) If something kind of went not right. Maybe everything went right. But do we really love Him with every ounce of our strength? We would really like to, but we're not glorified. We're still in these bodies. No, we don't love him as much as he loves us. We still fall short of that. But thank God that we have love in us. It's been shed abroad that we can love him back. But I haven't been very loving to to somebody else. I I don't love enough. Been convicted, right? Uh, suppose you're reading in the Bible about bitterness. Somebody might say that's me. I have bitterness in my heart. I'm bitter on that. You may be reading about pride. God says a lot about pride. You go into Proverbs, other places, you know. And every one of us have pride problems. We do. We're thinking about ourselves. So it's all about me, right? We don't say that. God just cut me wide open. That's the Word. And there's the work of the Word. It's awesome, isn't it? That Word works. It exposes a sin. It's a welcome process. It's a bittersweet experience, but whenever He he continues to change us, you can say, well, I haven't seen any sin. I haven't really yelled at anybody. I haven't gotten mad. I... Well, you've been reading the Word. Um, we still sin. We are not perfect. If we're not perfect, what's that mean? We're not perfect. <laughs> that means we sin. So if we sin, we want to be convicted of it. Uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Gets us back on the path. You want to get on the path? Oh, I did kind of walk off there, didn't I? I took one step. I eh, better get back on there. Uh, The next word is correction. The Bible is good for teaching and reproving. That's what we spent much of that on. And now the next one is correction. is epanorthosis. Orthosis is straightening up. You think of bones that need to be straightened up? It's a restoring to the proper condition. He doesn't leave us there being convicted and ripped apart. The grace of God comes up and brings us to back to standing. He restores us. The word doesn't just point us out, hey, you're a sinner. <laughs> Satan comes in and man, he will do that and he'll try to leave you there in your guilt. But God never leaves us there. He restores us to the proper path. Now you see a positive, don't you? Is it teaching? Reaper, ooh, but correcting. Oh, yeah, that sounds better. Man, thank you, Dennis. You confess it, he forgives. We know He's forgiven all of our sin, but yet there's the practical life and it's nice to know that, hey, I'm having the right relationship with God. Look at the position I'm in, but yeah, my practice also, I want that right too. And uh, the Word of God comes in, cuts you like ribbons, it slays you, it exposes everything, but it picks you up, it straightens you up, it puts you back together again. You remember Humpty Dumpty? You know, fell off the the wall and nobody's going to put him back together again. God puts us back together. It has the power to change your behavior, to correct your sin, to correct your wrong belief, if you have wrong beliefs about the Bible. Here comes in, and corrects that too. Um, it always seems to come in piercing somehow into my heart. gives me instruction, and it's the word that begins to begin, um, strengthen and, and um, to help me out. provides correction. It rebuilds you after being reproven. Uh, psalm one nineteen nine through eleven. Psalm one nineteen, and that's nine through eleven. That's that long psalm again. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? Right. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. And then he says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Oh, Psalm 119 is incredible. Psalm 19, Psalm 119. It's about the Word of God. Every verse. So from a conduct standpoint, it provides correction. And then the next one, it's good for training in righteousness. Once we're back on the path, the Bible tells us how to stay there and make further progress now. Not to go off the path, but to keep remaining faithful and progressing. Training there actually means child training. The word is peyadea. It's deal with a child. It's dealing with training. As parents work with their children, You know, they they train them, they discipline. Sometimes they have to paddle them or something like that, and they think, well, that's what it's all about. Well, it's not that all about. Matter of fact, it's usually instruction. There's so many things you train them up. You know, even from the most simple things. You know, how to eat, how to eat with a fork, a spoon later on. You know, um, you know, teach them how to walk. You teach them how to talk, and and all that. You're training them in various aspects. And in morals and in relating to people and skills there, useful habits, all of those things. His, tra- His Word trains us in every area of life. We're being trained here today. He's training us. Did you, have you thought about that? We're here to be trained. Whether one is a babe in Christ or a mature saint, the Scriptures are useful. That's what this Scripture is about in Timothy All scriptures inspired by God, useful for all the above that we've talked about, this fourth one. He he nurtures us, He raises us, he, He grows us, He matures us. That's all positive sense, isn't it? It's not only correcting us, but then He brings you up, He builds you up. He edifies you with the Word of God. And then He gives the Word of God to people and they come in and say a word to you that builds you up, that encourages you, right? Ex- exhortation is done. We need building up. Don't you like to be built up? You know, at first we're a run- little building. And He just keeps building on it, building on it. And we it just become more... The process, it becomes complete here as we, we looked at this uh, four-part process. The Word teaches us. Then it comes in and has a reproving power on it. And it's used then to correct us. And then it takes all of that and trains us. And the process is complete. One of these days it will be totally complete. Totally complete. Still working on that. If we were to look in Hebrews chapter 12, we don't have the time today. Chapter 12 verses 5 through 11 talks about discipline. Discipline um, from the Father the father disciplines the children. The mother disciplines the children. And so does our Father, who is even better. He's the best. He is excellent. He's perfect in His disciplining us. And when we hear discipline, we go, ooh, I hate that word. It sounds like... And it can be that, but most of the time it's not. He's disciplining us, correcting us, and not only correcting, but this, He's training us when we read the sweet Word of God. And not even being convicted at the moment, just learning something about who he is. We're not convicted on every verse, are we? Most of the time, not. But there are some areas where that that uh, definitely will play. Now we get to part two, and honestly, we we are at at the end of this. But I'll tell you what what it is. Here's the good. Here's what it does. Here's the result of it all. All of this training, boy, this sounds hard. It sounds tough. It sounds like you've got to study and be in the Word of God. Yeah, that's right. Can you think of a better place to be? And here is the result. Two parts. So that the man of God or the woman of God, the people of God, may be adequate. Inadequate there is artios, and it means to be adequate, to be fitted, to be, to have a result of maturity. It means to be complete. It means to be sound of mind. Full grown, especially something fitted for its intended purpose. Comes from trench again there, synonyms of the New Testament. God made you for His purpose. For His purpose. And only His word, not the world's wisdom, is able to fit you. That's what the idea is here. Adequate, or to be fitted for that purpose. You have a specific purpose. We know the chief purpose of man, everybody, is to glorify God. But each one have, has their gifts. And you're to use those gifts. And if you've been seeing this being taught by the Word and reproved and corrected and trained in righteousness, you are now adequate. Now you can use the gifts. You're mature. Well, maturity is not an end in itself. The second one is there is exhortismenos, and it means to be equipped for every good work. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not our works, but then he comes along in verse 10 and says that he gives us good works to do. Ah. <sighs> equipped means to be furnished, it means to be supplied. Proven through experience, using the Word of God, the truth of God, putting it into your life, using those principles. And you can confidently impart that truth to someone else. You aren't imparting other ideas that are out from the world, but they're based on some kind of principle. Even You can think of even things like washing the dishes or cooking, and you say, How does that apply to the Bible? Well, you know, we eat for the glory of God, it says. And he gives us the wisdom. Now, does that mean you can't borrow from cookbooks? You can go and get it from a lot of... You can get it from unbelievers, believers, but look where it originally came from. Where did this food come from? All that. Every little thing. Water. We drink water to the glory of God. You may not even say that every time. It's okay. But we realize that, wow. But... Everything we know, where where life is coming from, the words of God, where they come from, that you, you apply them to life. One one last scripture, boy, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Now I got a light start on this message today, and I want to tell you I'm at fifty eight minutes and fifty nine seconds.
1: So I'm using every
0: bit of it, aren't I? Ephesians 4, 11-13, He gave some of the apostles, prophets, some as evangelists, some of the pastors and teachers. Why? Why did He give that gift? For the equipping of the saints. That they be equipped. You want to be equipped? The Word of God. You can be equipped for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And you all are here helping build each other up. First of all, your presence helps build up. Do you know that? Even if you don't say a word, your presence really builds me up, builds other people up. And somebody just says hi. That's edifying in that sense of seeing, hey, there's somebody that actually says hi. They're smiling at you. They care about you. You know, you walk down the street here in Jeff City, and that usually doesn't happen. Matter of fact, they don't even look at you. You know, we're not a friendly state, we're not a friendly town. Some people will do that. It's really weird. At my work, you'll walk right by somebody like this and they'll be walking by. You look at them and you're afraid to say hi because uh, you've done it ten times and that same person just keeps on walking by. They don't say a word, don't look at you, don't smile or anything. And you come to church here and you say, hi, and people, everybody's smiling. First thing I see is a smile. You know what that does? For a person, it's incredible what it does. People walk in here and smile. I go, man, that's great. That's edifying. That builds me up. Then they start speaking the Word of God or what God has done for the week. Here it is. I want each of you to know that there are great doctrines of the faith as a means of knowing the living God, knowing your heart, and each of us, Let the Word come in, confront our selfishness, our pride, our anger, our lust, our greed, our abuse of speech. We need to let the Word of God come in correct us. Keep us on the path of righteous living in the wicked world that we live in. And then we can use the Word of God as He uses it in our lives. And we can minister to Christ by ministering to others. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, your truth. May it come in. May it come in and change us, convict us. May we be corrected. May we be edified and built up and disciplined. And may we be trained so that we are adequate. We are fit for your service. And as we go out, we are now equipped to give your truth that we just learned. Father, in Jesus' name, amen.